I'm a true champion. channel and if you're watching this that means you've got a little bit of intrigue about you because this isn't our regular wrestling video or review this is a special four-year Q&A for those of you who have been following us long term you'll know that every year I like to do a Q&A you can send in whatever questions you like they can be personal they can be about wrestling and I answer them as honestly and as candidly as possible so if you are joining me for this video thank you very much and I appreciate that greatly and for all of you who sent in your questions and there's quite a few I'm very grateful for those so without further ado let's get into the questions shall we and just as a quick point Anyone who did send in questions will remain anonymous just because some people don't want their names out there and I respect that. So I think it's fair that we throw a blanket over it and everybody remains anonymous. But if you come at me, I shall respond in turn. So let's see what the lovely fans of WrestlePlug have got in store for our next first question. Old school wrestler, you were most upset about finding out they were actually a Alar Ultimate Warrior. Oh, I didn't have any heroes growing up other than Bret Hart. Bret Hart was like my favorite wrestler. So for me, and I still to this day feel that Bret Hart is, all things considered, a pretty decent, upstanding human being. You know, people will talk about the Montreal screw job, but he kind of was within his right to feel aggrieved, shall we say. Uh, it was a pretty egregious moment. That being said, you know, you can understand why Vince McMahon did what he did. You can understand what Brett did for himself. It's good business on either end for those guys to stand up for what they believe in. So I think the most shell-shocking uh, realisation was that Chris Benoit did what he did. Uh, whether you want to throw that in the bracket, maybe that doesn't answer your question fully. Uh, you know, for instance, Hulk Hogan being an asshole. <sighs> Not really a surprise to anyone. Ultimate Warrior, in retrospect, I mean, I was never a big fan of Ultimate Warrior. Honky Tonk Man, I really liked, and I hear that he's got a pretty shitty reputation, but, you know, that's hearsay at the end of the day. I don't know personally, so I think Chris Benoit was the most shell-shocking, because, you know, it's one thing for a wrestler to do shitty things or, you know, beat up his wife or whatever, which obviously is fucking egregious and should be dealt with properly, but... When you quite literally murder your own family and then yourself, that's taking it to a new level, man. So, to answer your question, mate, I'd probably go with Chris Benoit, to be honest. Next question. What defunct wrestling promotion do you miss the most? Now, obviously, it's so easy for people to say an old school wrestling promotion or a WCW or an ECW, but they were bought out and you can still enjoy those memories. The one that actually I miss the most is Lucha Underground because it had such a unique vibe about it. There was nothing really like Lucha Underground because I love Mexican wrestling. You know, I love Triple I love CMLL and it just had something that nothing else had. And I like the outer worldly vibe. But in the ring, the guys did great work. And when you think about all the guys who came through from Lucha Underground, you know, you had Ricochet out there as... Prince Puma, I would argue that he's never really reached those heights of popularity since. Uh, yeah, he's been in WWE and he's had big title matches, but he was so fondly remembered in that role. You know, you had Brian Cage, you know, you had Joe, um, you had Jeff Cobb, you had Angelico, 
You had Ray Phoenix, you had Penta, you had Sexy Star. You had so many talents that you now just take for granted, particularly AEW. AEW, you know, they want to talk about all these stars that they made. Most of them were made in Lucha Underground, actually, or in AAA. I, it was such a beautiful blend of Mexican wrestling, Mexican culture, but also it had that kind of Hollywood style to it, being based in Los Angeles as well. It just, it just felt perfect. Obviously, it's subjective, but for me, it was the perfect amalgamation of wrestling. I thought it was utterly fantastic. I love the set pieces, the way it was filmed. Johnny Mundo, John Morrison got a completely second wind in the way he wrestled and the way he performed. And yeah, it just, you know, we got Dario Cueto and so many different characters and so much outlandish, crazy stuff. It wasn't just a wrestling show. It was genuinely a brilliantly written fictional television show for the most part. And it's a bit of a shame that it hasn't really been resurrected or it wasn't allowed to just keep going. Because in this day and age, TV networks are a lot more zealous and a lot more, shall we say, frugal. And as they're right with their money and they pulled the plug on it for me, you know, after they felt it had gone too soon. But... I could still watch Lucha Underground today and still get a massive kick out of it. So I actually miss Lucha Underground the most out of all these shows that are no longer with us. Is there a match type you loved when you were younger that you now think is stupid? Now, there's definitely match types that I feel that WWE especially is ruined. Like Hell in a Cell used to be something special. Now, you know, they still have great Hell in a Cells, but... When you all of a sudden isolate gimmick matches, they just become fucking ridiculous. Um... Actually, it's hard for me to answer this. There wasn't something that I really loved. Like, for me, I loved a steel cage match. I still feel like they offer something. I loved Hell in a Cell. And even though they've watered down the gimmick process with name pay-per-views, I still love a Hell in a Cell. Um, probably, if I'm pushed to say it, the three stages of hell from WCW. Just because when you're a kid, you're like, oh my god, it's a Hell in a Cell with another cell and a roof. And you're like, what? <laughs> and now I'm looking back at it thinking... What the fuck is, what the fuck is that? The state of your cage, mate. Uh, I didn't watch it live, but I quite enjoyed their uncensored cage match. I can't remember what it was. WCW Uncensored, it might be 95 or 96. They had this thing where they were working their way down to the bottom. Um, <laughs> I think it was Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, and you had Ric Flair and a horseman and stuff in there. Basically, on every level, they had, like, different bosses, and... <laughs> At the time, I remember when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is really cool. And watching it back, I thought, oh, dear, it's a bit of a clusterfuck. And, of course, it's not helped by Hulk Hogan, who is a shitty fucking worker and a shitty human being. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, that probably goes up there. But at a stretch, if I'm pushed to give you an answer, one solitary answer, and you know me, I don't like to sit on the fence, I'd say the three stages of hell that was in WCW. Which was better, Mimosa Mayhem or Kennel from Hell? That's not fair because they're both fucking awful. Uh, but if you... Oh, I have to say, as much as it pains me, Mimosa Mayhem, because at least you got Chris Jericho and he's putting over this young talent, even if he is a fucking ridiculous gimmick and shouldn't be anywhere near a main event status. And oh, how the mighty have fallen since then. But... <laughs> I will say one thing, the Kennel from Hell, although it's fucking atrocious, had a funny build. You know, you got to see Boss Man feeding Al Snowy's dog. Oh, my days. At least it had the edgy, non-PG stuff from the Attitude Era to back it up, even if it was just carnival stupidity, whereas AEW nowadays, like, they don't even have that. They just have, well, Tony Khan booking horrendous matches. So, yeah. I, but you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to say the Kennel from Hell, because at least it was funny. 
And being younger as well, being only 14, I think, at the time when that dropped, it was kind of amusing and kind of stupid, but kind of funny. And, you know, I was young enough that I wasn't completely willing to shit on it like I am now. As we all get older, we get a lot more smarkier and we, we want to shit on things more. And yeah, um, I'm going to say the kennel from hell because the Mimosa Mayhem match. Now, obviously, I watched that at the age of what? I was 35 and I'm thinking... That's just shitty. It makes the business look stupid as far as I'm concerned. So call me an old man, but it is what it is. Most underrated wrestler ever or most criminally underused? Oh, my God. You can spend hours answering this one. That's quite a broad one, but it's a good question still. Right now, if I was pushed to say I have to name one, um, I mean, the most underrated wrestler ever, like in the history of the business, is probably Owen Hart. And I know people will say, how can you say he's underrated? Because he never won the WWE title. And yet he was incredible. He was a world-class athlete. He was a world-class worker. There weren't many people who could hang with him whatsoever. And the fact that Owen Hart, the fact that Owen Hart never won the WWE title is pretty astonishing, if I'm being honest. So that stretch, I'll probably say Owen Hart. But there's a plethora of guys right now. You know, even like the late John Huber, he still felt woefully underutilized, particularly as Luke Harper. I know he had great moments in WWE, but you still felt like there was a lot more to him. I think it's very fashionable for uh, AEW fans, especially to shit on WWE, though, and say they're underutilized. But the reality is not everybody is going to be the megastar that we all believe they should. There are very few guys where you genuinely think, holy fuck that guy should have been the champion and wasn't Roddy Piper maybe would be one of those in my book um I definitely think that Owen Hart should have been champion I think Davy Boy Smith as well the British Bulldog and I'm a little bit biased here because I am of course a uh, Hart Foundation supermark but yeah I don't think too many guys really if you gave me a list of people and said these guys never won a world title and should have there's only three or four guys off the top of my head that I think, yeah, that guy should have been a WWE champion and was not. You know, we're all going to have our favourites. People are going to say guys like Rhino or Perry Saturn or whoever, and that's all very well and good. But yeah, for me, um, I feel that definitely Owen Hart was probably the most underrated ever. Not because he was an underrated talent all round. It's because he never reached the pinnacle. And the fact that he didn't is probably the most egregious out of all the guys I think that didn't make the pinnacle of wrestling. Goldberg or Gilberg? Come on, man. That's easy. It's, it's Gilberg, isn't it? Dwayne Gill's so fucking funny. By the way, can somebody please buy me a cameo and just, you know, get Dwayne Gill to chat to me? Because I think he's hilariously good fun. I would, but I'm stonkingly poor. Um, I just love Gilbert, and I love the concept of it. I love parodies. Who doesn't? Who didn't like the, the Blue World Order, you know? The way they just ripped on the NWO and it was a parody so they couldn't be sued. And, you know, it's good stuff. It's it's fun. It has a place in wrestling. And Gilbert was such a great response to that. Um, Goldberg certainly has his place and has earned it in terms of, you know, his Hall of Fame caliber career and everything he did, particularly in WCW. But you can't help but feel that you'd be far less of a laughing stock if he hadn't uh, come over. And had such a poor run initially in 2003 and then had an even more terrible run, you know, with the relentless kind of persistence in coming back and derailing talents and things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's Gilbert, mate. Gilbert's the man. Sparklers, isn't it? AEW Revolution ending. <laughs> what's the best Royal Rumble match and what's the best Rumble surprise winner and entrant? Um... 
this is a toss-up. I'm not one of these people who just buys into, you know, oh, I saw this modern era match, so this is the best match now and stuff like that. You know, a lot of the younger fans, the entitled fans, they'll just come out immediately and say, oh, yeah, well, this year's was great. It was fucking amazing. Clearly the best ever. It's like, they say that every year about WrestleMania and Royal Rumble. Um, it's hard. Is it Royal Rumble 2001, which is my personal favourite? It's the one I've definitely watched the most. Is it Royal Rumble 1998 because it was on my birthday and Austin won and I freaked out over it? But actually, if you think about overall Rumbles, the way they're booked and the high quality of them, I think the 2020 Royal Rumble is actually the best Royal Rumble match in terms of its booking. Brock Lesnar going from, you know, coming in number one, dominating the way he was, then getting kicked by Drew McIntyre, which is one of the coolest moments ever. Uh, and then just the way it was booked, Edge returning, that emotional feeling of that as well. And so many great moments with him squaring up to Randy Orton and possible reunion of rated RKO. And it just all fell beautifully into place. And seeing a guy like Drew McIntyre who felt fresh and exciting, somebody different. You know, it was great to see him finally get his moment. I think that was probably, for me, the best booked Rumble of all time. So... It's just going to squeak out Royal Rumble 2001 for me. So I'm going to say 2020. And, you know, I'm not always a miserable old man. Sometimes I do like the modern stuff. And I think that was one of the best booked matches WWE has ever had. They gave everybody what they wanted. And the fact that it was in front of, what, 40,000, 50,000 people just made it that extra bit special. Go back and watch it. Very rarely do you get a monstrous pop nowadays. The crowd lost their shit when Drew McIntyre claymored Brock Lesnar. That place fucking erupted. And of course, Edge's return as well. Everyone was crying. Who's cutting onions up in here, mate? Who's cutting onions? Edge is back. Oh, it's just so emotional. It was great stuff. Um, as far as the best Rumble surprise, I assume you mean person who's come out. Um, I still, to this day, still have a tear in my eye when I see Roddy Piper come out of the 2008 Royal Rumble. Because at that point, you're thinking, oh, you know, Roddy's on the older side of things and he's probably, you know, he's just taking it easy doing conventions and stuff. So to hear his music and Madison Square Garden to erupt. I, I know a lot of people remember that Rumble for John Cena coming back at number 30, but that was really magical to me. Um... I mean, my favourite winner of all time is probably Austin 2001 because I feel like it set up the perfect match at WrestleMania 17 against The Rock. So I feel like that's quite easy, at least from my perspective. And also that is, for me, the second greatest Rumble of all time. So, you know, it was just a fantastic Rumble and so beautifully booked and full of stars as well. Um, so, yeah, in terms of winners, <clears throat> definitely Stone Cold Steve Austin at Royal Rumble 2001. And in terms of entrance, probably... You know, I, Roddy Piper is like a personal favourite of mine, but overall, obviously Edge coming back at the 2020 Royal Rumble is so magical because it's not just the fact that it's modern, it's the fact that this guy went through nine years of what he went through to get to this point. I think that's really fucking special. And who wasn't feeling emotional and excited when Edge returned at the Royal Rumble in 2020? I thought that was utter, utter magic. Um, So yeah, I'm going to go with Edge as the surprise entrance to the Royal Rumble at 2020, even on a smart stream, like, oh, well, I read it on a dirt sheet, it was coming back, I don't give a shit, mate, I've got a life, I ain't got time to be reading dirt sheets like you, you sweaty melt, um, and yeah, as far as actual winners, uh, most likely Stone Cold Steve Austin from 2001, at least for my money. Favourite thing that's happened to you in the past four years of doing a podcast? Oh man, that list is a mile long, actually, do you know what, I'm very blessed, um, as the individual, 
who sent this question in will know uh, I've gone through quite a lot in the last four years. Not all of it's been rosy and happiness and sunshine and lollipops because I live in the real world. People have used the podcast to make up ridiculous allegations and accusations because they're salty about the fact that I have different opinions than them or because, you know, I'm not going to cow down or because I'm not going to curtail to the, you know, the kind of loyalty factor of certain wrestling owners or promoters. But, man... When I was a kid, I always wanted to be a wrestler. And I would be lying if I said that this podcast wasn't very, very much responsible for me becoming a wrestler and having an opportunity to wrestle in front of crowds. And, you know, nothing spectacular. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm a star because I'm not. And I definitely have grand ideas. And I still have a bucket list of things I want to do in wrestling. And if anyone asks, I'm happy to divulge what those are. But probably because it was such a big dream and... A dream I never thought I was going to achieve, particularly as I only started training at 33. See, I had kind of thought, I'm not going to bother training anymore. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to try. Like, I sort of initially started some training when I was 18, 19, but I was stupid back then, and I just wanted to smoke and, you know, just fuck around and do drugs and sleep with women and, you know, all the stupid shit that dumb older teenagers do and just didn't take life that seriously and never had a handle on my depression or anything like that. So... You know, about a year or so into the podcast, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to give training a try. You know, so I went down to Rev Pro, I went to Quality as well, I do private sessions, and you know, thanks to my willingness to cover shows, shows that other people wouldn't cover, like Cornish Pro Wrestling on here, I was afforded an opportunity to, you know, get jumped in the ring and beaten up by my good buddy Austin Drake and the Dominator, uh, which I was. Super, super happy about it, if I'm being honest. They were fucking fantastic to me. Great lads. I took a coast to coast with a bin on my head, um, which was wild stuff. I'll make sure you can see that on the screen. And, you know, then being able to, you know, thanks to Alice Bella. People can shit on her all they want. Some people would say rightfully so. That's their, you know, that's their option. But for me, she afforded me an opportunity. She said, you work hard. You put a lot of you know, work into what you do. And anybody who knows me knows that I work so fucking hard at this podcast and everything that I do. I do. I work so hard and I train so hard for that. And I was able to make my debut. Was it in front of 10 people? Yes. Was it in some dingy nightclub in Exeter? Yes. I don't care. Still made a wrestling debut. You know, that was a dream achieved. And I was able to then go on and, you know, participate in Royal Rumbles. And I got to work for a, a few companies. I got to be a member of the ring crew at Progress, which was such an amazing experience. And so I'd probably say that over the four years, the best moment that I've ever had is making my wrestling debut. Because that wasn't just something that was really fucking cool. That was genuinely the biggest dream I'd always had, was to have a wrestling match in front of people. Not to be a big glamorous star, I never wanted to be in WWE, I never, you know, when I was tiny I wanted to be Bret Hart's tag partner, no shit, who doesn't? Even to this day I'd still love to have Bret Hart at ringside or whatever, or even have him on a podcast. That If you ask me who my dream fucking interview was, it's probably Bret Hart, just because of what he meant to me. But, you know, being able to achieve that dream was magical. I never, ever, ever will be able to forget it. And also, no one can ever take that away from me. I got an opportunity to be a wrestler. Am I a professional wrestler or a full-time professional wrestler? No. But I can always say, yeah, I was a wrestler. If you've worked in matches, you have been a wrestler. You know, there's a lot of these old-school, snotty, angry old types who are like, oh, I've had 350 matches in the last two weeks, so therefore I'm a better wrestler. Yeah, absolutely. You're considered a far better professional wrestler than me. However... 
I've still got an opportunity to wrestle. And if you've got an opportunity to wrestle, that makes you a fucking wrestler, doesn't it? If you got to play football on a professional level, even if you only played one game, you were still a professional footballer, innit? That's just my personal opinion. But it was an amazing, amazing moment. And, you know, I don't want to turn that into a negative, to be honest, with my usual ranting. I thought it was magical. I loved it so much. I really did. I don't think people realise how special that moment was to me. And I'll always be thankful to Alice Bella. You know, irregardless of whatever demons or problems she's uh, come unstuck with, she afforded me an opportunity to be a wrestler. And other people as well, Robbie Nitro as well, Chris K, Rishi Ghost, Dan McGee and Josh James. I'm so thankful to all those people. And also Kenneth Halfpenny as well. What a lovely guy he was. <laughs> he really helped me try and, you know, learn how to just, you know, all of those guys did so much for me and worked so hard to help me. And of course, all my amazing friends, some of them still listen to this podcast, so many of them who have come on as interviews, all of you helped me to achieve a dream. And I love you and I'm incredibly thankful for that. Will Manic Mondays ever come back? Yes, it will. <laughs> um, I don't feel like I could do it without Steve. I wouldn't mind doing like a Manic Mondays podcast on its own, actually. There is a kind of idea that I've had running around in the noggin of maybe starting a Manic Mondays podcast separately uh, and just doing, you know, some old school retro reviews from time to time, not stepping on other people's toes like OSW and stuff like that, but maybe just, you know, putting out votes every week and saying, hey guys, would you want us to cover next and doing that and, you know, just keep working on it from that perspective. But the short answer is yes, uh, but ultimately that lies also with Steve. As you know, he's very busy, became a dad. He's no longer the co-host or at least the regular co-host on here. He's always got a seat and he'll always be welcomed back whenever he chooses to do so. But yeah, it will be back. But it'll probably be a while, sadly. Afraid so. Favourite place to holiday and why is it America? It is America, yeah. I must admit, I'm a huge traveller. I love travelling, you know. Yeah, you've asked this question because, you know, I, I fucking love travelling. That excitement of getting on a plane. When the plane first takes off, you think, oh my God, yes! Yes! Fantastic shit. It's just so exciting. It's just so thrilling. Um... I just, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's really fucking cool. There's a buzz. There's a vibe to it that you just don't get from doing anything else. Um, I've been to some amazing countries. I'm very lucky. I've travelled all around the world as a holiday maker, not as a wrestler, which would be fucking cool. That's one of my biggest dreams left is probably to wrestle abroad. But it is America. I love America. You know, I joke all the time. I take the piss and we do the accents and we have a giggle. But man, I love America. It's got a lot of faults. Every country has. You know, I can do without worrying about being shot every time I so much as sneeze near somebody or he's got a tan and all that kind of stuff. But it's great. It's a beautiful country. It's it's just so huge. It's so expansive. There's so much you can see and do. And for the most part, Americans have such a beautiful, lovely cadence to them. I would love to personally live in Washington, D.C. My time over there was truly some of the best days I've ever had in my entire life uh it was very emotional actually for me getting back on the plane I really had a hard time with it I genuinely considered just you know withdrawing or selling everything I had and just staying there for as long as I could but it was a, a magical time and I do love America and I can't wait to see more of America and obviously get out there and wrestle you know work with guys like Tommy Vendetta go and cover their indie scenes hopefully have an opportunity to see more of the country possibly work over there like I say and 
yeah, maybe cover some of the bigger shows and also get out to a WrestleMania because it is definitely on the bucket list. So we'll go with America. And like you say, why is it America? It just is, isn't it? It just is. You know, everyone knows I'm a bit of a closet American and they all, everyone, the kind of running joke is that, yeah, Aaron Nick's, he's basically half American. I kind of am. Most of my best friends are American. It's fine. I'm okay with it. Also Canada as well. I'd love to go and see Canada. Not just because my boy Carl Wilkinson's there, but it just looks like a stunning place to be. But I'm very lucky. I've traveled around most of Europe and seen some of the great all-time sporting spectacles as well. I've been very lucky in that regard. So I'm looking to the future and seeing what I can do going forward. Who's your favorite South Park character? Easy. It's Randy Marsh, isn't it? Come on. Shelly! Randy Marsh is incredible. Stan's dad. He is so fucking hysterical. Everything he does is hysterical. You know, he's got one of the greatest memes slash gifts of all time on the internet when he completely covers himself in chess. It's just, he's funny as fuck. That episode, mate, where he's sitting on the toilet, he's like, oh, da, 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 oh, da, da, making that ridiculous noise. He pushes out the world's biggest shit. Oh, it's so dumb, but so funny. And I also really love South Park because it does so many kind of political commentaries behind the scenes and whatnot. And yeah, it's it's definitely Randy Marsh. He's fucking hilarious, man. He really is. I love him. By the way, the episode where he gets into fights, he gets drunk and starts fights at all these different sporting events while his son's just trying to crack on is fucking hilarious, mate. I'm the best around. I fucking love that stuff, mate. I, I could watch that endlessly and it will make me smile even if I'm in the most miserable, miserable state of mind. Who's your favourite Bond and what's your favourite Bond film of all time? That's very easy in terms of my favourite Bond is Sean Connery. Anyone who says otherwise is fucking wrong. It's as simple as that. If you think Roger Moore, by the way, is the best Bond, you can get the fuck out. The most underrated is Timothy Dalton, in my opinion. I felt like he was closest to novels, the representation. Obviously, everybody who knows me well enough knows I love reading. I'm a big book nerd, big book buff. I was an English buff as well, English major. Took a degree in that, albeit a shitty degree, but it's a degree nonetheless. <laughs> um... I just, I just love James Bond. I do. There aren't many films that I hate. Like, I, I think Roger Moore's probably the worst Bond, but I still enjoyed some of his films. Uh, Timothy, uh, you know, everyone says George Lazenby. I just think that's, well, you know, very close to his name. It's a very lazy opinion, actually, because he was only in one film. And again, uh, quite close to the novel and the representation of who he was in many ways. But yeah, um, it's always going to be Sean Connery. As far as my favourite Bond film, it's a real hard toss-up because ironically enough... It's either from Russia with Love, because when I was a tiny kid, that was the first one I really saw properly, and that is, for me, a masterpiece. A lot of people find it boring, but I think it's incredible. I also love Goldfinger. You know, Goldfinger's such a classic. I love Doctor No as well. I love all the Connery films. Um, but actually, I'd probably say one that isn't Sean Connery, even though he's my favourite Bond. Uh, Goldeneye. Again, Pierce Brosnan, criminally underrated as James Bond, and I thought Goldeneye was fucking amazing. And it's also helped by the fact that Goldeneye was my favourite video game as a kid, and, you know, being able to just, oh, just staying up every night with my mates and playing, like, four-player multiplayer on the N64 when I was in secondary school, man, that was, those were, those were peng days, brother. Those were peng days. I had a good time, and, yeah, I love Goldeneye. It's still great. Do you know what my, I feel is the most underrated Bond film of all time, Tomorrow Never Dies? I think that's so fucking good, that film. I, I really love, actually, Pierce Brosnan. Uh, the World Is Not Enough as well. I could sit here and talk about Bond all day, to be honest. I do love James Bond, but... Yeah, I, I like to answer questions. I don't sit on the fence. The greatest Bond of all time, no question, Sean Connery. And the best Bond film of all time for me is Goldeneye. So, I'm sure that'll ruffle a few feathers, but tough tits. You're wrong. 
Who's your favourite football player ever and who do you think is the best ever? Thank you for that question. Um, oh, oh, you've put me on a spot here. You know I love football. Um, my favourite footballer of all time is Dennis Bergkamp. Uh, for my sins, I used to be a very, very, very big Arsenal fan when I was younger. And then I've always supported Lincoln City. They're my local side. And I've been a Lincoln City fan all my life. But when you're younger, you always have a big team. And for me, it was Arsenal. And um, yeah, I man, I got to see Dennis Bergkamp play so many times when I was a kid. And I remember all the magical things he used to do. The goals he used to score. You know, that goal of the season against Newcastle. Beautiful. He was a magician. He was an artist. When you watch Dennis Bergkamp play, you felt like you were in the presence of greatness. Bear in mind, as an Arsenal fan, I also adore Thierry Henry, who I think is in flight one of the greatest, if not the greatest, footballers ever. In flight, I say, and I mean in terms of movement and his IQ and the way he worked. Um, who do I think is the best ever? Obviously, people are going to go directly for either Messi or Ronaldo. Or if you're an older generation, you might say Maradona or a Bobby Moore or something like that. Uh, for me, from everything I've seen of footage of him and how special he was, I actually think Frank Puskas might have been arguably one of the greatest players of all time. Um, you know, he's got numerous awards named after him, you know, in Hungary especially. You know, you got to remember, Hungary was not a affluent, rich country. And for a long time, the Russian uh, disposition that took place over there um, made things very difficult for people to stand out. So for Ink Puskas, you know, being able to play for Real Madrid, being for so long the best player in the world, the best striker, pure striker you had ever seen, is an incredible achievement. So it's subjective. Um, but I would probably say Frank Puskas. If you had to make a top five, I mean, I could sit here all day and talk about world-class footballers. You know, Messi's incredible. Ronaldo's incredible. Um, I fucking adore Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp. I think in terms of defenders, I thought Paolo Maldini. Paolo Maldini and Franco Baresi were fucking incredible. I loved Roberto Baggio. I thought Paul Gascoigne was amazing. There's so many different players. It's, it's difficult to pin somebody down. But like I say, I never sit on the fence. So the greatest player that I've ever seen is Dennis Bergkamp. And the greatest player of all time for me, I will say, is Frank Puskas. But like I say, it's subjective. So don't get your knickers in a twist in the comments, ladies and gentlemen. Um, keeping it with football, actually, quite ironic. Uh, who is better, Messi or Ronaldo? Now, for me, it's Messi. I Now, people are going to say, yeah, well, Ronaldo, he's done it at different clubs, and Ronaldo's won, you know, a European trophy. Can I just point out, right, I was at the European Championship final in Paris when Portugal beat France 1-0. Ronaldo went off after, what, seven minutes? It's got nothing to do with him that they won that final. Did he? Was he instrumental in them getting to the final? Absolutely. So the argument would be, well, they don't get to the final of them. Yeah, but someone's still got to win that final. It went to extra time. Portugal got a beautiful goal, it has to be said. And Portugal won the European Championship. But they won the final without Ronaldo, who is insufferably annoying. He is obviously an amazing looking athlete and he's an amazing footballer. He will go down as one of the greatest to ever live and I've got no problem with that, but personally he rubs me up the wrong way. I can't stand these entitled fairy footballers who spend all their time on the fucking floor crying like little bitches. Can't be doing with it, mate. So uh, Messi isn't fucking golden by any means, but 
I think if you're actually talking about football and not achievements, Messi is a better footballer. I do believe that. I feel like he adds more. Also, Messi has never had a problem laying the ball off, working for his teammates around him. If you watch Ronaldo, particularly in his later years, but always throughout his career, you know, he's the first one to throw a fucking wobbler. He actively, you know, takes displeasure in his teammates scoring. That's not a proper team player. The greatest players in the world, for me, have to be world-class team players as well. Um, for me, Lionel Messi is, you know, it, I mean, it's 1-1A, one one isn't it? Like, you know, both of them have achieved so much. It's absolutely astonishing. Let's not forget, Argentina did get to a World Cup final. And some people would argue that's a better achievement than winning the European Championship. Not necessarily me, but it's definitely up there as a big achievement. Getting to the World Cup final is no slim picking, so... It's kind of weird because if Messi had won a World Cup, I reckon this argument would be null and void. Everyone would say Messi. But because Ronaldo has that international championship on him, people are going to say Ronaldo is the better player. But I think Messi is. That's just my personal opinion. Are you a fan of VAR? Obviously fucking not. <laughs> Do you know what? At first I thought, oh, stop making such a big fuss about it. Fans don't like change. Fans are like, you know, stop messing with my game. The game's shot, mate. People are acting like football is the be-all and end-all, and it's still this magical thing. And actually, it's fucking toxic and cancerous. Fan bases are awful. You know, I'm all for banter and swearing and everything, but you've got to draw a line somewhere. This racism is fucking... It's fucking ridiculous, and it doesn't have any fucking place in our sport. Um, but VAR, right? <laughs> what fucks me off about VAR is the idea is it's in there, and it's in place to make sure that they don't make fucking mistakes. And yet, somehow, they still do. So, no, I'm not a fan of VAR. It pisses me off. And I'll tell you what really triggered me was I'm, I'm quite a big fan of Sevilla because I was lucky enough to go over there. And I, I love the people. I love the city. It's one of my favorite places to visit. And I just love the football club. The atmosphere is fucking incredible. They're, for me, the best fans in all of Spain by some margin. Real Madrid and Barca fans are a fucking joke. And they know they are. They're just a bunch of plastic wankers. But for me... um. When Sevilla played Dortmund this season in the Champions League, just the astonishing idiocy of VAR. He was like, like the referee, you know, there was a clear penalty for Sevilla, but he didn't get it because he chose not to use VAR. I was like, well, surely VAR should overrule the ref in those scenarios. Like, the problem is they don't know what they're doing with it. One minute the referee can choose to use it, the next he doesn't have to use it at all. What? There has to be consistency and fluidity in your decisions, and VAR is just one clusterfuck after the other. It almost feels like it's become a storyline within itself, and it's the biggest heel in all of football. It, it's very tedious, and frankly, now it's starting to take away from the enjoyment of what is football. Cricket or golf, which one is worse to watch? Cricket. I find cricket fucking boring. I don't mind 2020 if I'm there because I can have a nice shandy. I'll tell you what, there is nothing quite like going to the Rose Bowl, having a nice little shandy in the sun. You know, the crowd is only about a quarter full, so you can sit wherever you like away from people and just chill out. And, you know, it's lovely and it's peaceful and you're surrounded by all this gorgeous countryside. But <sighs> as an overall sport to watch, I find it boring. And those five-day... Test matches, those five-day internationals. Jesus Christ, get on with it. I know golf's majors go over four days, but fuck me, at least it's not every bloody week or every other week. It's fucking boring, mate. Absolutely boring. And also, these test series, when it's the best, like the Ashes, for instance, they'll play for like five days. Right, cool, we'll see you in a week and we'll play for another five days. Like, what? 
Jesus Christ, there's endurance, and then it's just fucking boring. Um, one thing I like about golf, weirdly, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of golf. Uh, I've played a little bit. My friend, my wonderful friend Lindsay, has tried to teach me how to play golf better. Um, but one thing I do like about it is if you're feeling a bit rough or you've got a nasty headache or whatever, I tell you what, it can really relax you, especially when it's a beautiful golf course like Augusta or something. You can put that on in the background, you know, and it just mellows you out a bit. I'm such an old man. Such an old man. Yeah, it's as far as being boring, cricket is so, so boring. It's one of the most boring sports to watch. I'm sorry, it is. It's going to trigger a lot of people, but boo hoo. I just, I've never really enjoyed cricket unless I'm drunk at a 2020 game. What's on your ideal full English? Oh, you're going to love this, ladies and gentlemen. This is my favourite question. Uh, as you can tell, I like my food. And let's be honest, ain't nothing like a full English breakfast, bruv. Oh. Oh, so first of all, all right, toast, not fry bread. Fried bread is for knackers, all right? I know that there are people from Essex who like fried bread or fried toast or whatever it is. Oh, no, it's disgusting. Oh, no, I can't be doing with it. You Essex lot, I love people from Essex, but my God, fried bread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking rancid, mate. Gotta have toast. Buttered, of course. Oh, lovely, sir. Lovely. Couple of fried eggs. Absolutely. I need to dip my toast in my fried eggs. Gorgeous. Baked beans. Yes, please. Thank you very much. I like a nice bit of sautéed mushrooms there. Very nice on the side. Um, a lot of people like the tomato, the fried tomato. I'm not bothered about it. I'll eat it if it's there, but, you know, it's not a big thing. Sausages are crucial. Lincolnshire, of course, because they're the best sausages. Although I will accept Cumberland. <laughs> Um, got to have good sausages, at least two sausages on a plate. I'm a man who likes a big full English. Don't be coming at me with one of each, okay? That's not a breakfast, mate. That's an entree. That's a platter. That's a fucking set of starters, mate. Nah. Give me a proper breakfast. Give me a full farmhouse, mate. Like the Weatherspoons farmhouse, actually, is banging. Now, now the crucial thing here is hash browns. If you don't have hash browns on your full English, I do not acknowledge you as a human being. Hash browns are a fucking must. Not those American hash browns either, although I will accept them if I'm in America. I'm talking about those lovely little, you know, those gorgeous, oh, those, oh, those juicy, delicate triangles of potato, oh, and onions. Lovely, lovely. Got to have hash browns, mate. Good hash browns. Oh, so good. So to recap, hash browns, absolute mandatory. Uh, I like me sautéed mushrooms. I'll have baked beans. I'll have two fried eggs. I'll have, do you know what? I'm a pig. Fuck it. I'm going to have three hash browns. I'm going to have two fried eggs. Two sausages minimum, preferably three. Uh, bacon as well, a couple of rashers. That's always nice. Um, I'll go with a half fried tomato just because it makes me feel a bit healthy in it. <laughs> um, and toast. Yeah, those are the things that are absolutely mandatory. There are other, oh, and a spot of black pudding as well. Cannot forget some black pudding, mate. You've got to have some black pudding. And a nice fucking brew. Okay, not a fancy cup of tea. Ooh, Matron, I've got myself a cup of tea. Nah, fucking none of that nonsense, mate. Give me a fucking pot of tea, bruv. Lincolnshire knows how to do it. Thomas too in Lincolnshire, ladies and gentlemen. You want to check them out if you want a classy breakfast, but a proper working class classy breakfast, mate. Gorgeous stuff. Uh, to be honest, I'm from the Midlands. We just know how to do breakfast better than the South do. Sorry, Essex. You just step behind us, mate. Stick to the pie mash and liqueur. That's where your game is, and that's good shit. Conspiracy theory that you find the funniest that people actually believe. Oh, this is going to be a giggle. <sighs> My mum is really into space because she's... Uh, and not because space doesn't exist, just that her head's up there. <laughs> it's as simple as that, bless her heart. Um, 
but I like trolling her that the earth is flat. I obviously don't think the earth is flat. Um, <laughs> to be honest, most of the conspiracy theories, right, about things like space or earth or anything like that, are things that we're not going to fucking find out about anyway. So what's the point of putting any energy into either disproving it or believing in that fucking nonsense? Like, oh, the earth's flat. Okay, even if it was, who fucking cares? I ain't falling off the edge of it, bruv. I can barely get off my sofa. I'm not going to fall off the edge of the earth, am I? <laughs> Come on. Do better. Um, I think, overall, though, the conspiracy theory that I find the most amusing, <clears throat> there are actually people who believe that there's a reptilian race underground that is going to surface at some point and take over the Earth. <laughs> Astonishing. I think people will believe in it. Now, do I find conspiracy theories fascinating? Absolutely. And I love the idea of taking these hysterically overboard fictional concepts and making them into films or TV. Come on, War of the Worlds is fucking sick, mate. But, my God, reptilians underground. Uh, after the stuff we flushed down there, I think they would have invaded by now. Because, frankly, that is fucking disgusting. <laughs> so, yeah, no, just ridiculous. And then you see these videos on YouTube where they're showing their eyes flickering back. It's like, come on, man. Come on. Come on. I, I love to believe in crazy ideas like aliens and things like that. I find it very hard to believe that we live in a universe where we are literally the only beings whatsoever. I think that's utter nonsense, personally. But, come on. Reptilians. Alright, nice question from one of my legendary friends here. I won't name you, but thank you very much. Uh, my question is, how did the WrestlePod get started and what is your favourite episode? Right, full disclosure, um, I just come out of a, a very emotional breakup. Um, I've been with this girl for three and a half years and I was feeling abjectly miserable and really suffering creatively. And I was really suffering with depression quite badly. I had to take time off of my you know, then current job and... I had been speaking for years about how I wanted to do a wrestling podcast and <sighs> there were a couple of podcasts I listened to, uh, RBR Wrestling being one of them actually. Now, I don't dislike RBR Wrestling, but there are a lot of times where they were just being so fucking stupid and over the top, much more so than I've ever been. And they were just interrupting each other and just bickering like children and it got me thinking, <sighs> I could do that. I could do that just as well with my mates. I asked my amazing friend Dexter if he would help me out with getting a laptop from eBuy, which he did. I bought a laptop for nigh on £500, uh, which at the time seemed like a pretty good laptop. And obviously, after four years, has become, frankly, a relic in its own right, just like myself. And I said, fuck it. Do you know what? Let's just start covering some wrestling. Uh, we'll start recording a few episodes. Uh, as some of you might remember, this actually used to be called the Smart Plug, not the Wrestle Plug, which was... Looking back at it, a very bad name choice because Smarks, you know, it's it's unfortunate because I don't think Smark is necessarily a bad term, but people have just turned it into one because, you know, stupid people who know nothing about the business want to fucking basically go online and be like, Smarks, they Smarks, then whatever. It is what it is. We've all used it negatively, I suppose, but... Yeah, we just started recording a few episodes. The first episode was uh, called Week in the Universe, where we discussed everything in the WWE Universe that week. It was Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, uh, and NXT. And from there, uh, we just kept going, really. Uh, we started covering pay-per-views. And when you first started listening to us, we were like two, three hours long. My God, we covered our first WrestleMania we covered was WrestleMania 33, and that was four hours long. And I used to comb through it and edit out everything I could. And, oh... And to be honest, the quality wasn't great. But once I got rolling, I'm ever, I'm always going to be grateful to Dexter because for me, um, if 
I hadn't had him at my side, I don't think I would have had the motivation and the enjoyment to do it. And I enjoyed chatting to Dexter and still do to this day. He's one of my best friends. And I was very thankful for the fact that he was willing to do it with me. And he didn't last too long because I feel like Dexter was somebody who didn't really enjoy the process as much as I did. I think he just wanted to help out a friend. And he was an amazing friend in that scenario and always will be. And hopefully we'll get him back on just for a little chit chat from here and there and see what he's up to. But... Yeah, um, after that, obviously, Steve joined, who is my long-life friend and uh, best friend from university, which is where I met him. And, you know, he just clicked beautifully as far as the podcast went. And, you know, it's I've never really looked back ever since, if I'm being honest. Uh, as far as my favourite episode, <sighs> I'm very lucky because some of my best friends of all time have been on this podcast. My two best friends for a very, very long time have always been Steve and Ray. And Ray used to do the indie stuff with me because he was never a big WWE fan. Didn't really like WWE. Um, but the one episode that always stands out for me is when we did a what we used to call Indie 50, which was kind of our version of an indie roundup of indie wrestling. And we covered uh, Bound for Glory 2017. But we also... Um, we also covered the Australian independent scene and there's a episode, you can go back and listen to this, it's way back in the archives, you can check it out at wrestleplug.com or wrestleplug.podbean.com if you're looking to find it in particular because that's got all of the episodes still on it and I just fucking lost my shit over Mr. Juicy. And not just because he was called Mr. Juicy. I think it was the way Ray had delivered it. And we had to stop recording because for 20 minutes I had hit the getting high hysterics which means you never know, you ever smoked weed and you get so fucking high that you just find everything piss your pants funny and can't stop laughing this is what had happened to me i just went fucking his i was in hysteria over this i could not stop laughing over the idea of mr juicy in charge of talent relations and then i went absolutely fucking spare if that's hard to believe about tna because at the time it was just a dumpster fire this was when del rio was allegedly coked off of his bin and you know he turned up and threatened um i think it was uh i can't remember who it was on the commentary team i think it was mike Tanay and jeremy borash i think was the other guy or it might be josh matthews actually yeah i think mike Tanay had left at that point you know del rio turns up he threatens jeremy borash and i just remember saying that if anyone thinks this is good they're a fucking moron i was furious and if you think I'm uncensored now you should go back and listen to that podcast because i was just absolutely on a fucking tear absolute tear um Good stuff. Good stuff. There's There's been some really great episodes as well. Favourite interviews and things like that. But you asked what my favourite episode is. I think I've probably never had as much fun as I did recording that. But I really do have fun now recording them. And I'll try and take it much more easy. I know I have some highly controversial opinions. And I'm pretty brutal with my honesty and my swearing as well. Which Nails is always getting on at me about. Bless her heart. But... Yeah, I I really, really fucking love doing every episode. I do. I love the creative process now, and I love the fact that after four years, we definitely look so much more professional. You know, the graphics, the videos, the fact that the YouTube channel is doing so well, and all of that is literally down to the fact that I've just learned to improve my skills. And everything you see, I do all of it. I make all of it. I edit all of it. You know, I do all the videography and the graphics and things like that, and I have a really good time doing it. So, yeah, but if I was pushed, I'd probably say that one. I listened to it just recently, actually, and, man, it still makes me crease up in hysterics. Uh, me and Ray have always had a really good camaraderie. I mean, I was his best man at his wedding for a reason. We've just always clicked so well in that regard. We'll always be brothers. Um, not so much a question, but just a lovely little message I got. It says, um, 
By any chance, have you been able to watch The Dark Side of the Ring? Absolutely, I have. He also says, uh, this one is for you, Aaron. I just want to say thank you so much for being a great friend, brother. When first meeting you at a show was good, but then getting to know you more, having our banter at shows, you getting to try my bacon, that'll be a spoiler alert as to who it is, uh, make each other smile and laugh. So thanks for that. Hopefully we can catch up soon. That's really lovely, mate. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I'm looking forward to seeing you too and trying those gorgeous gorgeous chocolate brownie sir he is quite the baker this man he's a magician but like i said no names but he's a bit of a legend he is what was your favorite interview you've ever done i'm so glad somebody asked this question because come on we've done so many you could argue probably i think josh alexander is definitely the biggest interview we've had and i am so humbled beyond belief that someone like josh will come on my call i am humbled beyond belief when any wrestler comes on but when josh alexander comes on this guy is truly one of the best in the world if not the best so for him to come on with his level of professionalism and quality and the people he knows and the business side of things that he has to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis not to mention being an incredible father and husband and everything else that goes with that that's pretty astonishing um i think my favorite interview just because of what it meant was the arrows of hungary because that was the first time that i was able to get two wrestlers first of all they were the first tag team to come on which is very cool and also they were one of the very early interviews actually and they were the first time that i got with all due respect to other guys what I would consider big stars or should be big stars in the business. The Arrows of Hungary are arguably one of, for my money, are arguably one of the best tag teams in the world and definitely in terms of Europe. And so for them to come on a podcast and for us to record it outside McDonald's in Portsmouth, so random, isn't it? How it, you know, how it all works out for you. Um, but I thought it was so magical, so cool. I really loved it. I really did. It was a, a really great time. And uh, I'm really appreciative to Dover and Icarus for giving me their time. Uh, they genuinely are two of the best men in the history of wrestling I've met. I have met and worked with so many people in wrestling. And it's very hard to think of many people who have the class, the professionalism, and the quality and perception that these two do. I really believe that everybody should be fans of Dover and Icarus because they are absolutely incredible. The Arrows of Hungary, I will be fans of for the rest of my life. What are your top five wrestlers of all time? Here we go, Mount Rushmore with one extra chipped onto the side. Oh, mate, this... Man, you won't have seen this, but it's taken me a while to get this one done. My top five all-time favourite wrestlers. Now, this is just subjective. This is my list. So before everyone's like, how oh, could you not put so-and-so in? It's my fucking list. Bret Hart, because for me, he is the greatest wrestler of all time. The greatest heel of all time, Roddy Piper. Nobody could hold a candle to Roddy Piper on a microphone back in the day. He was utterly magical and also highly controversial. And I love people who push boundaries and push ceilings to the absolute limit. So it's Bret Hart, Rowdy Roddy Piper, American Badass Undertaker, I think was one of the best incarnations and best evolutions of a character I had ever seen. And I'm going to put him up there because... I remember emoting so much energy and joy, more so than pretty much any other wrestler during that period, especially when he returned at Judgment Day 2000, which for me is still one of the greatest ever returns in the history of wrestling. I mean, that is utterly incredible at the end of that Iron Man match. So you got American Badass Undertaker, you got Rowdy Roddy Pipe, you got Bret Hart. Room for two more. Sting. 
the greatest babyface of all time, particularly a surface thing. He completely redefined what it meant to be a face in this industry. And for me, he is still, to this day, the benchmark of how a face should be, whether he be Crow Sting or even Surface Sting. And even though I'm not a huge fan of the way they've used him in AEW, he still shows that even at 61, 62 years old now, that he's still incredible value for who he is. And he's still able to emote a response that many guys will never, ever get close to. That leaves one more spot. It's difficult for me. Um, but it is my personal top five. And I don't want to put anyone on there who I feel hasn't finished their career yet. So even though I think Pac is the best wrestler in the world, I think he's still got some way to go to make it up to that Mount Rushmore level. Finally, um, just because of what he meant to the business and because of what he did, and also because he was pretty much the icon for me uh, during my formative years, Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, what he did to not only save the WWF in so many ways, but completely revolutionise the business in terms of what we saw as a heel or a babyface was just so, so, so special. Um, but I could give you 20 top five lists and I still wouldn't really be done. Um, you know, there's, there's guys who genuinely change the industry in a way that means so much more to me personally as a bigger guy for instance Bam Bam Bigelow and Vader who deserve to be in anyone's top five Ric Flair Shawn Michaels it's really difficult wrestling really is the most subjective thing in the world what was your favorite show you've ever attended <laughs> now I've been to a ridiculous amount of wrestling shows and I've had so many incredible memories so it's fucking hard for me to sit here and tell you which one is my favorite but i think when i consider what goes into a show um oh man this is fucking hard this is a tough question mate i'm impressed um oh jesus see for so many people it's cut and dry you know, most people are going to say, well, you went to the first ever AEW Dynamite, but actually not even close to probably my top five favorite shows I've seen live. Um, you know, I, I've been to a lot of shows. I've been to Impact. I've been to AEW Dynamite. You know, I've, I've been to so many British shows. I think for what it meant and the quality of the main events, man... Man, you've put me in one head of a corner here, bruv. I think in terms of mark-out moments and everything that went with it, even though it's not necessarily the greatest all-round wrestling show I've seen, it was the Rev Pro pay-per-view where Vader took on Will Ospreay. First of all, I got to see Vader. And I know it was kind of a very low-rent, low-expectation version of Vader because he was very close to death, bless his soul. And Will Ospreay, with everything that's come after that, has you know, become quite tainted in many ways, and particularly with recent outrage. But that was really special because of the way the crowd reacted to it. Uh, it was a ferocious, ferocious crowd. People were out of their seats. People were over the barriers. You know, people really wanted to defend British independent wrestling so much off the back of what Vader had had to say and the way he had just 
well, frankly, shit on the business the way he did. And I understand why he did, especially coming from his era. This is a guy who had his eyeball knocked out by Stan Hansen and had to pop it back in and crack on with things. So when he sees a couple of guys flipping around like a couple of doolally tools, it must kind of wind him up a little bit. But, you know, the business has progressed. But that night was truly special for that. That night also had Pete Dunne versus Ricochet. Fucking incredible. Absolutely amazing. And I do believe it also had Chris Hero versus Marty Skull, which is one of the best live matches I have ever seen in my life. And all allegations and things aside, it was just a very, very fucking special night in terms of wrestling. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm i going to show some love to that. I may be wrong about Marty Skull and Chris Hero being on that card, which is arguably the greatest match I've ever seen live, personally. It's very difficult. I've seen... I'm very blessed. I've seen so many magical matches. I really have. But, yeah, I remember that one so much, and it sticks out. Uh, but it's something that might change depending on how I'm feeling because I have been to so many shows. So my apologies if I do flip and flop a little bit when it comes to telling you what my favourite show I've been in attendance for of all time is, but that was pretty fucking special, to be fair. Very special. It is an absolute banger. I'm looking forward to this. For your 500th show, I would like to ask which wrestler inspired you to become a wrestler yourself. And if you could interview any wrestler on a show, who would it be? I mean, if you could get anyone on, then who? Um, oh man, good luck on Friday, bro. Thank you very much, my friend. I'm obviously checking this out after the fact, but it was a good time, it really was. Uh, oh, great question, mate. I really appreciate that. <sighs> so, I obviously love Bret Hart, he's my biggest inspiration, but actually, he's not who inspired me to be a wrestler later in life because I started really late. You know, 33 is quite an old age to start. And hey, there are great success stories Batista, DDP, obviously, those guys are streets ahead of my fat ass. Um, for me, actually, it was my friends who inspired me in the sense that they reminded me that you know, I should go for things. And I think Steve Neal is somebody who probably doesn't realise just how influential he was in getting me to get off my fat ass and go and give it a try. Uh, I interviewed Rishi Ghosh uh, for the podcast. And when I did, uh, I kind of tied it in with a personal training session. And I, I actually just wanted a taste of what it was like. So I thought, I'll give it a go. And he was unbelievably humbling, incredibly kind, as he always is. And he just said to me, you could you could give this a go. You know, you're probably not going to main event New Japan or anything like that, but give it a go. See how you do. And I remember the anxiety and the nerves of going to my first ever beginner's training session at Rev Pro and just terrified. And still to this day, if I go to a training session, I'm fucking terrified. I always am. There's just a weird anxiety about it because I've never felt like I deserved anything, really. No matter how hard I work for things, um, I've never really being one of those people who wants to give myself any credit, I always think I'm shit at everything and I find it easier that way. You know, that's my personal problem. I am still proud of everything that I've achieved, but I always have very low expectations of what I can achieve and then I'm always surprised, I guess. But Rishi Ghosh was definitely a big inspiration, but so was Steve, my friend. Uh, in terms of wrestlers, Chris Hero, um, 
Santana and Ortiz actually, once I had started training, I had the opportunity to chat to them briefly when they were over here for a progress show. And Santana was so unbelievably kind to me and so nice and so um, positive about the idea of me being. And he's like, yeah, go for it, man. He was really full of energy. He was like, mate, that is so fucking cool. You know, go for your dream, chase your dream. And I've, I've never forgotten that. And I'm always appreciative of little things like that. Because to him, he probably doesn't even remember who the fuck I am. But to me, he's one of the best professionals in the world. So there's been a number of people to be fair and it's a shame because I don't like sitting on a fence or giving you very broad answers but it's very difficult to say one wrestler inspired me to give it a go myself um Rishi Ghost definitely helped Steve Neal is my best friend who isn't a wrestler at all just you know really pushed me and he's somebody who's always kept me in check and kept me grounded which I've always appreciated um but I guess you know with everything that you know was in my head at the time going being able to get in there and give it a go and use the inspiration of maybe wrestlers from the past. It probably still is Bret Hart because he's what made me love wrestling in the first place. And I'll always love wrestling as much as I do because of what Bret the Hitman Hart did for me as a kid and everything that he did for probably millions of kids around the world. I was that kid who always wanted a pair of sunglasses at the front row when he used to hand them out. And I still do to this day. Um, Bret Hart will always be for me, one of the greatest. Uh, as far as anyone, ever that I could interview. Obviously, I'd love to say John Cena, The Undertaker, Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, because my God, the amount of traction it would bring this podcast. I believe that I am just as good as some of the incredible people out there like Chris Van Valet and Alicia Atu, who was actually on this podcast, who I think is incredible. I believe I'm just as good as those people when it comes to giving interviews. And I believe that the only reason we don't have bigger level quality wrestlers on there is simply because we just don't have the numbers yet to back it up. But I believe in it. Guys like Josh Alexander wouldn't come on my podcast if I wasn't good at what I did. And I get so many compliments from wrestlers, which I'm so proud of because I work so, so hard at this. People don't see that. Um, nothing fills me with more joy and pride when wrestlers say to me, and the majority always do, they say, wow, that was really good fun. I really enjoyed that. Thank you for letting me come on your podcast. And I think, no, thank you for taking the time. You know, whether you're a small independent wrestler or a big megastar like a Josh Alexander or a Zicky Dice or Joel Redman or whoever it might be, thank you for coming on my podcast. Um, obviously, I'd love to interview Bret Hart. He's my hero. If everybody could tag him and just say, hey, come on a wrestler, even if it was just for 10 minutes, just to be able to say thank you. Um, for getting me through some of the toughest years of my life when I was going through a lot of abuse and things when I was a kid. That would mean the world, but there are so many guys. Um, just spitballing, Eddie Kingston. Love to have Eddie Kingston on. He's such a big inspiration to me. His mic work is truly some of the best in the world. I'd love to have Pac on here. I love him dearly as well. I think he truly is the best all-round wrestler in the world right now. Um you know, and those are two AEW guys, and people say, Ooh, you don't like AEW. I love AEW. It's just I don't like all the book in there. I'm fair, I like to think, with my critiques. So, Eddie Kingston, Pac, uh, Bret Hart, obviously, would probably be the pinnacle. <sighs> so many NXT guys as well. I love the Undisputed Era. It'd be amazing to be able to sit down with the Undisputed Era and have a chat. I know none of these are ever going to happen. You know, I, I'm a realist, and as much as I think I'm good at what I do, I also appreciate that. You know, I'm just never going to be big enough or important enough that those guys would ever waste their time talking to me. And I understand that. Um, but, you know, guys like the Undisputed Era, I'd love to have Volta on here. Uh, I'd love to have Trent Seven on here. Uh, so many guys. 
uh, and Helico in particular. He's somebody, by the way, who was a big inspiration in helping me get into wrestling. And Chuck Mambo as well. I've already had Chuck Mambo on here twice, actually. Uh, I'm still so grateful to Chuck in so many ways, actually, because his uh, incredibly sunny disposition and outlook, his happiness, was what convinced me that I wouldn't be eaten alive as a wrestler. And I've spoken to some wrestlers who have said that, you know, you're going to struggle if you haven't got the mental game. And I struggled, definitely. Uh, but guys like that prove to me that you can be a good guy and still succeed. You can be a nice person and still do okay for yourself in this business, even if it's not at a high level like myself. Um, so, yeah, there's so many great guys, people that I consider an inspiration, and Helico, Ray Phoenix. I'd love to have the Lucha Brothers on it. Anyone who was on Lucha Underground, I would love to have on it because that is such an incredible show to me and always will be. I'd also love to have a couple of the best minds on it. I'd love to speak to Paul Heyman. I would absolutely love to speak to someone like J.J. Dillon, uh, Tully Blanchard. I'd love, one of my biggest people I'd ever love to have on here, women's-wise, is Tessa Blanchard. I know that there's some stuff around her that people don't like for whatever reason, but I think she is a incredible human being in every sense and truly scintillating to watch. She is everything a world-class wrestler should be. And I genuinely think that she could, when it's all said and done, be considered the greatest women's wrestler of all time. I believe that, and I know that upsets a lot of people. If you're talking about people who have passed on, I would have loved to have spoken to someone like China. You know, Randy Savage, amazing. I love Randy Savage as a kid. Owen Hart, Brian Pillman, so many people. Honestly, I could go on forever, but... You know, I'm just spitballing, just, you know, shooting dreams into the wind. Um, right now, if there are people who I genuinely think maybe if enough people pushed for it, I'd love to have Eddie Kingston and Helico, Pack, uh, Trent Seven, <laughs> Volta. I'm a bit greedy. I just want them all. I want all of them. But do you know what? I love talking to young wrestlers, independent wrestlers, guys who maybe haven't broken out yet, but will. Every single person I've had on this podcast, I believe, is a megastar or a megastar in waiting. I really believe that. I believe Joe Lando will be huge. I believe Aaron Cruz will be huge. I believe so many guys in this business have the opportunity to be big, big stars. I have them on my podcast because I believe in their potential, not because I care about clout or being considered one of the best interviewers, although I think I am. I do. I believe that I'm good enough. I believe that I can stand opposite people like Chris Van Vallee, like Alicia Ritu. I believe that I am one of the better ones in the business. Talk is Jericho. Not so much an interview as it is, you know, he's got the clout already. He's a legend of the business. So of course, he's going to be able to get whoever he wants, really, on his podcast. Um, so, yeah, there's so many people out there. If this ever gets to a wrestler of that kind of caliber, give me an opportunity to prove that I can do what those guys do, and those guys and girls do. Give me an opportunity to prove that I can do what those guys and girls do just as well, because I believe that I really do. This is quite a good question. I really like this. So it's kind of a fourfold question in one. So what moments in the last four years have sparked the biggest outbursts on the podcast in terms of four different emotions? Here we go. So what moment in the last four years has sparked the biggest outbursts on the podcast in terms of rage? So the biggest rage. Do you know what? I remember going utterly fucking spare at John Cena for not wearing a team shirt at Survivor Series when they had a Survivor Series match. Everyone came out, red versus blue, SmackDown versus Raw, you know? And here comes Dickhead with his green, luminescent, lime green, obscene fucking whatever you want to call that godforsaken thing he was wearing. And I remember thinking, you 
fucking cretin. Just put on a goddamn coloured shirt like everybody else. You've got to be above yourself, haven't you? And I'm sure that was a direction for the company, but I remember being in an absolute rage. And not so much because it was worth the rage. I think I was just in a really fucking foul mood. I was like, you fucking prick, Cena. I was so angry. I was just like, you cretin. I've always thought John Cena is... You know, he's obviously done a lot of amazing things. I'm not one of these stupid people on the internet who's naive to think that he hasn't done some bad things himself because he has. Google it. Fucking look it up for yourself. I'm not here to educate you people. I've always felt like his run held down a lot of people that he didn't need to hold down. And that's not necessarily his doing. Some of it is. Some of it isn't. So in terms of rage, probably that. And also, of course, just my sheer excruciating anger at how people took so many people for granted in speaking out i was angry i was upset and it almost completely crippled my love of this podcast and wrestling and still to this day i feel like we're working hard to try and improve that but at the same time you know hopefully we're on the other side of things and we're building to a much better future because those people deserve that which moment in the last four years has brought the most excitement i gotta be honest i was so fucking excited when josh alexander messaged me and said hey man i'll come on your podcast i was like oh my god because <laughs> the man crush is real um yeah i remember buzzing but also being quite literally scared shitless to talk to him just because he's such a big megastar and the fact that he would take time to speak to my nothing nobody ass is absolutely incredible um yeah true true excitement and joy from um talking about that just absolutely amazing and knowing that he was going to come on and then doing the interview like just amazing i was so excited honestly it's i was like a giddy schoolgirl if i'm being fair <laughs> i really was it was lovely to have that true feeling of emotion and joy because as you get older i don't know why but for me it seems to be tougher and harder in life to find those moments of true excitement and joy and for me that was one of them uh also as well kind of on a par with that in many ways was actually when we covered the show me and steve that i made my debut on um back in march of 2019 actually just a, the anniversary just went uh, came and went um being able to cover that show with my best friend who was there to see me wrestle was you know pretty cool pretty awesome and just curious what he thought and you know he was honest as always and obviously a debut you know you're never going to be any good I, I personally thought I sucked Austin Drake was phenomenal to me and looked after me really well and we had a bit of fun going around and knocking seven lumps of shit out of each other uh if I could give anyone advice when it comes to wrestling by the way Try and enjoy it. Try not to think about all the nerves and that because it takes away from the actual enjoyment of it. And I'd actually like to go back and just enjoy that match for what it was and be able to say, yeah, I got to be a wrestler for a day, you know? And then I got to be a wrestler for another few days. Um, but that was very exciting too. But I think nothing will change the sheer excitement that you probably would have seen in my face when I got a message from Josh Alexander going, yo, I'm interested in coming on the pod. That's <laughs> a... It was pretty, pretty fucking awesome, I have to say. Biggest moment of disbelief in four years. <sighs> Again, just so much disbelief that people could, you know, ruin so many people's trust the way they did in speaking out. But disbelief isn't necessarily a negative thing. Um, you know, there's also the disbelief in an incredible moment. Edge returning at Royal Rumble. Um knowing that I actually went to Washington to see the first ever AEW Dynamite, sitting there, you know, among some really good people as well. 
So a few obnoxious pricks. There was a few guys sitting a few rows back from me who were basically having a good giggle at Nyla Rose's expense, basically being transphobic, which I had absolutely no fucking time for and made it very clear myself. But um, it was kind of a disbelief of like, I'm on a plane. I'm going to Washington. Holy shit, I'm going to see my first ever live baseball game. Holy shit, I'm going to see friends that I've known for 12 years and never met in person, like Jay Miller and Dexter and Michaela and Lance and my brain. Oh my God. Like, it was just pretty unbelievable that pokey little old Aaron X had managed to achieve something like that. Very fucking cool. Very, very fucking cool. And finally on this one, what brought the most laughter? you got to go back and listen to me talking about Mr. Juicy. I've mentioned it earlier in this Q&A. When I was ranting and raving about Mr. Juicy and having a fucking giggle, honestly, I was beyond hysterics. Someone had shoved laughing gas right up my ass. They must have, because I was in utter hysterics that day. I don't know what happened, but it just was the funniest thing ever to me. I could not stop laughing. Also, every time Steve would make some horrendously swear-laden fucking cursive objective at someone like James Ellsworth or somebody he didn't like in wrestling always made me piss my pants laughing that boy has always been balls to the fucking wall honest and i've always respected that and yeah i had a good time i, I there has been a lot of moments where i have just laughed hysterically and thought that's good and I, as people know i'm a bit of a sour-faced bastard but i do like a good laugh i do like to smile and moments like that yeah they live long in the memory so thank you very much for your questions i appreciate that Time for the last set of questions. Not many left, ladies and gentlemen, so bear with us and we will get to the end soon. Trust me. At least it's not as tedious as watching The Miz wrestle for, I don't know, 40 minutes. How do you feel about the prospect of a Divas Championship title returning? Um, I was very vocal, for better or for worse, about the term Divas. Uh, because, for me, it has a negative connotation. You know, it'd be like calling, I don't know, a title, the fug title, and then making it a title for African-Americans. I feel like it's a derogatory term and it doesn't have any place in their dialect. So, you know, and for me, women are women. They are strong. They are powerful. Obviously, I'm more than happy for women to come on this podcast and correct me because it's absolutely their fucking right, not mine. But as far as divas go, you know, I... I like the title for what it was. I didn't think it was a complete bust. I think that it still created some great wrestlers and some great champions. I thought Nikki Bella by the end of things was actually fucking amazing. And I still have a wicked crush on that young lady. But, um, you know, when I look back at it, I just hated the term. It was just terminology and naming and spelling or whatever you want to call it that bugged me. I wouldn't like to see it come back because we've already got two major women's titles and they're having a hard enough time booking those. Not to mention you've got women's tag titles on NXT and the main brand and, of course, an NXT Women's Championship. So I just think there's too many titles as it is. I think if you put another one in, no, too much, too much. You know, um, It's good that there was a Divas title in many ways. It's good to remember some of those amazing names. Women like Maurice and Melina and Alicia Fox and even Beth Phoenix and Natalia and, you know, genuine world-class women's wrestlers who held that belt as well. Paige really did wonders for that belt. AJ Lee was an amazing Divas champion. Um, but when it's all said and done, it's there's no place for it now. Just because we don't need it. Not because it's offensive. We just don't need it. We just don't. Which female wrestler should be in the Hall of Fame already and why? 
this is difficult because obviously China was the one. Now, China should still be going in by herself, not as a part of DX. And I think that's fucking lazy that they still haven't put her in as an individual. Just fucking put her in as one. She is pioneer. Uh, they have kind of a legacy division. Like for me, the greatest women's wrestler of all time or what she meant to women's wrestling is Mildred Burke. And I feel that everybody who genuinely thinks they're a passionate fan of women's wrestling should know who Mildred Burke is. And if you don't, well, I question genuinely how much you care about women's wrestling. You know, you got to know about all of it, not just the bits that you want to like. I would say Victoria. I feel like Victoria should be in the Hall of Fame by now. She completely revolutionized what it meant to be a dual threat. Victoria was not only hotter than a one-way trip to hell, but she was so fucking good in the ring and powerful. And frankly, other than Molly Holly, she pretty much eclipsed all the women on the roster. She made a mockery of the divas and everything and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. She was so, so far ahead of everybody else. You know, Trish Stratus was rightfully so a legend in so many ways. And she came in and completely revolutionized what Trish Stratus had done and made it look so much more legit, so much more powerful powerful beautiful incredible presence victoria should be in the wwe women's hall of fame maybe she is and i'm just being stupid and she already is in but i'm pretty sure she isn't and she fucking well should be this is a really good question i love this question will the term intergender ever be burnt to the ground for the sake of a good wrestling match regardless of gender it's difficult isn't it because so many of these woke people and not just liberals right wing whoever it might be whether you consider yourself woke or not, um, you know, you could argue that using a term intergender all of a sudden creates disparity when you're asking for genuine equality, and equality works both ways as far as I'm concerned. Um, I don't think that labels necessarily hurt, though. Uh, I, weirdly enough, I'm going to reference Bojack Horseman, which is my favourite animated TV series of all time. Very powerful. And there's a character on there called Todd, who is asexual. And when he first gets called asexual by his friend Emily, he kind of freaks out. He's like, whoa, what did you call me? Um, he says, I'm not really into labels. And she says, I understand that. But sometimes labels can be helpful. And I think for a genuine, uh, a general kind of all-round audience, calling a belt into gender for whatever reason might be kind of helpful in some ways. Um, but at the same time, it depends if you have an intergender division where that is exclusively where you're going to get intergender matches, fair enough, I understand it. Now, if you have women going after your world title, case in point, Tessa Blanchard, we didn't call her the women's champion when she won the Impact Championship. She was just the Impact Champion, and whether people will like it or not, she is the first ever female world heavyweight champion. Deal with it. Um, it's a tough one. You know, it's not cut and dry. Uh, as you know, there are shades of grey all over the place. It's not black and white, and it's difficult to get rid of it. But I do agree that it should be removed for the sake of a good wrestling match. For instance, when Charlie Evans and I believe it was, I want to say Elijah, who I saw, have an incredible match of Battle Pro Wrestling, they kicked the shit out of each other. I didn't watch that and think, this is an incredible intergender match. I just thought, this is a great wrestling match. Does that make me more woke or better than anybody else? No, that's just how I felt at the time. I wasn't really thinking about it because I'm not somebody who enjoys labels that much. As somebody who's had all kinds of labels slapped on him, you know, I'm not ever going to be a big fan of those. But, you know, it's one of those things where it kind of comes and goes depending on how you're looking at it. So... Yeah, um, I understand why some people would want it removed. I think it can be useful in places, but I also think there are absolutely uh, demonstrations how it shouldn't be. But I'm not going to sit on the fence. If it bothers people that much, fucking get rid of it then.
just get rid of it, innit? <laughs> if it really bothers people. Um, but it does feel like it's fairly low on the spectrum of things that would trigger people. But, like I say, if you want true equality, you have to get rid of something like a term like intergender. Favourite Tekken character and why? <sighs> this is going to upset you. I have never really played Tekken that much. I'm going to say Eddie Gordo. Uh, simply because I just like the hysteria when you're young. Of just slapping the fucking square rex button ferociously and nobody being able to get rid of Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of E Honda in Street Fighter where he's like, bah, 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 bah. apologies for that incredibly racist sound effect. Um, it just seems very amusing, I suppose, in many, many ways. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not going to claim to be a huge mark for Tekken. I love the character designs and stuff, but yeah, ask me this question in a year, and I promise I would have made a concerted effort to play more Tekken, but for me, Mortal Kombat is the greatest fighting game of all time, and if anyone wants to fight me over that, I am ready and willing to shove a fucking harpoon or a spear or whatever Scorpion likes to call it right through your chest and shout, Get over here! The most underrated video game... Oh man, we could be here a while. I love my video games. Um, people shit on certain video games for whatever reason. Uh, again, very subjective and very divisive topic. Most underrated. I mean, I suppose underrated would suggest... So for a video game to be underrated, it would have to undersell or be panned by critics. And in a very weird turn of events that nobody will probably even understand, I believe it is Mission Impossible Operation Burma, which was on the PS2. It might be a different name. I apologise if it is. Um, that was a fucking great game, and I loved it because I was obsessed with the Mission Impossible film franchise, especially at that time. I love Tom Cruise. I think he's wildly underappreciated. You want to talk about underrated actors? Tom Cruise, definitely. Doesn't matter if he's a fruitcake. We're talking about his professionalism as an actor. Um... Yeah, I, I remember playing that and everyone would be like, oh god, that's awful. And the Mission Impossible game itself on N64 and people were like, oh, that game sucks. I'll tell you what is criminally underrated. Mario Kart Double Dash on the GameCube. That is... I think that might be Hall of Fame worthy in terms of Mario Kart. So I think that might be the best Mario Kart of all time. And yet, for some reason... Over a lot of people's heads. Maybe it's because of the generation. Maybe because most people who played the consoles now probably didn't own a GameCube for whatever reason. Because I'm an old man like my old consoles. But I love technology, obviously. Um, I know the individual who asked this question is very much into technology and gaming. Because you're fucking awesome. Um, and you're just a cool human being, to be fair. All of you are who sent in questions, to be fair. But particularly yourself. Um, oh, man. Difficult. Difficult, difficult, difficult. Also, actually, as a random shout, uh, two things. First of all, the Medal of Honor franchise, which has always been eclipsed by Call of Duty, but it's actually churned out some incredible, very historically accurate video games in terms of World War II and stuff. Uh, Viet Cong on the PC. Nobody ever talks about it, but I fucking love that. It was one of the very first games I ever played that was brave enough to touch the Vietnamese conflict. Which is so criminally underrated and is still, to this day, so underutilised as a plot device in shooter games or combat games. And Aliens vs. Predator 2 on the PC, the original one. Oh, I cannot express to you how cool it was to be able to play online multiplayer and be the Predator hunting down aliens and colonial marines. You know, just chasing people down, like just, you know, emerging out of your cloak. I just thought it was fucking cool. I was... 
12, 13 at a time. That was fucking peng. So, so good. If you could swap lies with anyone, who'd it be and why is it Jordan Syed? He's so much better than me in every sense. I get it. I do. I get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's very, very good looking. But I wouldn't want to swap lies with Jordan Saeed because he was in the police and I don't have the mental aptitude to do what he's done and I sure as hell will never be the wrestler he is. But I'll tell you what, Jordan Saeed, if you ever listen to this or watch this, I will literally work myself to death to have an opportunity to face you in a main event at a wrestling show. I am sick and tired of people like us being marginalised because we're different, because we've got a different skin tone, because we represent our different culture to maybe what people are comfortable being. I would like to smash a barrier. I would like to break a ceiling, and I want to be in the first ever all-Arab main event of wrestling in this country, and I believe that you are the person that I would love to do it with. So what do you say, Jordan? But I'm not swapping lives with him. Absolutely fucking not. Can you imagine me and the police? Jesus Christ, terrifying. Um, but he is an amazing human being. You know, all rivalry and whatnot aside, what an amazing person Jordan Saeed is. Seriously, I cannot express how cool that guy is and what he means to the British wrestling industry. And if it's going to live and if it's going to thrive again, it will be on the back of guys like him. I will champion him on this podcast with my dying breath. I really will. I mean that, absolutely. And like I said, and I'm looking directly at you right now, Jordan. I want that fucking match. I want that main event. And I want a company to approach us and have the bollocks to put that main event on. When the time is right, when I'm in good enough shape, and when I have got myself to a place where I will not embarrass myself or the business or Jordan, I want that fucking match. Give me that match. Which American food would you like to try and why? Why would you do this to yourself? First of all, American food is fucking amazing, okay? And you are coming for dinner with me, and we are going to go to some American restaurants. When I was a kid, there was a restaurant in Portsmouth called Touchdown. Uh, and, oh my God. So they did the ridiculously over-the-top glamorous food. You could get, you know, sports-named burgers. You get a Terry Venables burger, right? And it was four quarter pounders with blue cheese and a mountain of fries. Oh my God, those Americans, they know how to party. Um, there isn't much that I haven't tried, actually, American food-wise. Uh, I'll tell you, poutine doesn't count because it's Canadian. It's North American, but it's Canadian. I'd love to have proper poutine in Canada. Obviously, I'd love to go back to America and sample all that good shit. I also want to go to Philadelphia and have a proper Philly cheesesteak. Those gorgeous sub rolls with finely sliced uh, beef with melted cheese. Mm, yes, please. Yes, please. Also want to go to Mexico and try out all that gorgeous food. But, you know, you asked uh, for an American food. So <sighs> what would I like to try? Definitely the Philly cheesesteak. Definitely those gravy dipped sandwiches that they do in New York. Um, so many different things. I'd love to have a proper pizza pie in Chicago and New York. I'd love to... Well, I've had a pizza actually in New York and that was pretty fucking amazing. I'm pretty sure the Mafia served it to me because those guys were awfully, awfully Soprano-esque. Dream tag match including yourself. This is the last question. Difficult. Really difficult. Um, oh, really fucking hard, this one. 
For context, I haven't actually read any of these questions until now for the Q&A. So people wondering why they haven't had their DMs read, that's why. Because I wanted to make sure you got a live organic reaction from me. Because I just feel like it's slightly more entertaining from that perspective. Who is my dream tag match, including me? I'd like to think it would be me and Bret Hart versus Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Just so we can beat the everlasting shit out of them and teach them some fucking respect. Because 12-year-old me is still furious about the Montreal Screwjob. I'm still so unhappy. But something that genuinely... I mean, obviously you said dream, so that's probably the dream. But something that may be possibly something we could achieve is... Um, I'd love to be a part of... First of all, I'd love to tag with my good brother Aaron Cruz. I still feel like the Trophy Hunters are owed a fucking opportunity at the CWP Tag Team titles. And I'm sick and tired of seeing Roderick the Rambunctious and Robbie Nitro hiding on social media, you little cretins. Get your asses out of the fucking gallows and put those titles on the line against us so that we can take them from you and actually put a bit of respect back into that division. Because right now, you are making a fucking mockery of that tag team division. I'd also uh, like to tag with Jordan Said because I feel like he is the evolution of me in every sense and also the evolution of this business. I really believe that. Um, Eddie Kenway as well. I feel like me and Eddie Kenway could fucking destroy many, many people in our way and on our way to tag team glory. But in terms of an actual dream, I mean, it doesn't say that it has to be two people. So I'll tell you what, how about me and the entire Heart Foundation, uh, Brian Pillman, Jim Neville, Neidhart, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, and British Bulldog. So six men on one team versus DX, Shawn Michaels, Dribble H, so we can basically batter them around like the fucking tools they are. Um, the Road Warriors, because for me, they were, for so long, the greatest tag team ever, Animal and Hawk. And also... Because they are my personal favourites, the Lucha Brothers, Ray Phoenix and Penta. There you go. That is the mother of all six-on-six six tag matches. Guess who the odd one out is there? <laughs> there. That's me. That is your Q&A, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for all of you amazing people who sent in questions. Loads of them. Really chuffed with that. I'll tell you what, I'll see you again next year. However, as an aside, if you really have enjoyed it that much and you've enjoyed the podcast and you've listened to it... Um, yeah, I'm more than happy to do these more regularly. Hell, I'm happy to do random Q&As every week where I just answer your controversial questions from the week in wrestling in terms of news and stuff like that. But ultimately, you guys have got to contact me and let me know what you want from the podcast because I'm more than happy to give you people what you want. I'm not Vince McMahon. I don't tell you what you like. You tell me what you like. It's as simple as that. But hopefully you've enjoyed the Q&A. It's kind of nice to do it annually. It feels like a tradition at this point. Um, from a personal note, four years of this podcast is wild. 500 plus episodes. This will be probably episode 503 or four if you're listening. And thank you very much for paying attention for as long as you have. For listeners old and new, thank you very much for joining me. So fucking cool to be able to achieve little dreams and also have you guys along for the ride. I hope that this is going to continue to grow. I hope this YouTube channel will continue to grow. But most importantly, I'm so grateful for your time. I really am. Okay, there are a lot of podcasters who claim they give a shit about you, and they don't, but I genuinely fucking do. And every time you send me a message or an interaction, I take great pleasure in reading those, and I take great pleasure in making sure they get the same platform as my opinions and the guys who come on and share their opinions with me, my best friends. So to everybody, whether you are a past or future guest, a past or future listener, a past or future co-host, doesn't matter who you are, how you're associated with this podcast, whether you like me or not, thank you very much the interactions that you have given me over four years and hopefully 
Here's to another four years and another 500 podcasts. Can you imagine four years later when I'm 40 years old still doing this podcast? I can't, but who knows? Until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. I've been Aaron Nix, and I'll catch you very soon for the everlasting content that is the WrestleBlog. <laughs>